All right, everyone. Thank you. And welcome to another episode of What is Black Podcast. I am so excited that I have like this powerhouse of um, guests today. So I'm going to have each of them introduce themselves before we um, talk and get into the episode about um, Black Joy. So I'll start with um, with Dr. Butler Barnes. I'm Sharita Butler Barnes. I am a associate professor um, at Washington University in St. Louis, developmental psychologist and mom of two. And then Ms. Jennifer Thompson. Hi, I'm Jennifer Thompson. Um, I am a mother of four, a big fan of Jackie and her podcast, and just really excited to to be on this uh, panel. And then, um, is it Dr. Kelly Carter? Yes. Correct. Hi, I'm uh, Kelly Carter Jackson. I'm a historian and a newly associate professor at Wellesley College in the Department of Africana Studies and a mom of three. And then um, Dr. Lynette Pickman. Hi, Lynette Mawinney. I am Associate Professor of Urban Education at Rutgers University, Newark. I'm also the Department Chair of Urban Education, uh, children's book author, and mom of one. Awesome, awesome. Now, before we get started, do you all, are you all right if I use first names? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it'll be like a sister circle. All right. So we'll go first names. Okay. So as I, you know, led into the conversation, uh, or the lead into the conversation, I wanted to talk about Black joy, right? Because I think it's important and vital that not only do we talk about, you know, the trauma of Blackness and Black in Black parenting, but there's also joy and how we live and how we raise our children. But again, very limited for me experiences, listening, hearing from parents and the parenting journey and how do we incorporate Black joy in that in that journey. So my first question to each of you is to get your perspectives about how do you define Black joy? So I can start with um, Lynette. So a couple months ago, when you asked me this question, for me, Black joy was around this concept of resiliency, but I, I, I've since rethought that, right? Because resiliency is always, it's, it's still coming out of trauma, but Black joy has always been there, right? <laughs> Since the beginning of time. Um, so in the context of this, of this discussion around parents, for me, Black joy is just being. It's just, it's just what it is. It's being together. It's being who, who you are, um, you know, and embracing all, all the greatness. All right, um, Kelly, your thoughts? No, I um, I don't know. I kind of look at joy like from a biblical sense because I feel like oftentimes the word joy was introduced to me in, in church. And so uh, when I think of like happiness, I think of it as something that's like, like a happenstance. It's fleeting, it comes, it goes. But joy to me is a constant and joy is almost um, in direct conversation with trauma or suffering or pain. And joy is the thing that allows you to push past that or or, or see um, the other side of that. And so um, I think to be Black in America is, is really difficult <laughs> to say the least. But joy is that sustaining almost spiritual like uh spiritual like aspect um in my life that allows me to be able to find moments of peace and laughter um and respite um in ways that can't always be found through like the temporality of of happiness um joy is just really sustaining to me and and very spiritual to me 
And Jennifer, your take on what is Black Joy to you? For me, um, Black Joy is is the inner light um, that that I feel that we all possess. That God's inner light, um, and then that that shining of that light through all the spaces that we're in, whether it's shining it with the sun or shining through the rain or shining um, with each other in you know in, in expression of love and in family um, in sisterhood, um, and then also that 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 um, just that drive inside of us and that light, that strong light to, to shine, even in spaces where we're not traditionally or historically accepted. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, that we're going to shine, even if, you know, things are around us, you know, aren't great. We're shining still. That's, that's that joy for me. And that we still laugh. We can still giggle, still have fun. We still, you know, still, we love and no matter what, that's what it is for me. And then Sharita, your team. I love, absolutely love all these definitions, but one of the things that I think about with Black Joy is just this act of resistance, right? It's acknowledging the trauma, but it's still sort of resisting that. And for me, it's being radical in, in, in my parenting, you know, informing my kids about um, the plights of Black Americans, but also resisting these stereotypes and, and messages and just being their authentic self. So it's it's always there, like the others have stated, but I feel like it's an act of resistance when we are, are joyful and happy and we can express ourselves and we can do it for the culture and we can, you know, so I feel like it's an act of resistance. So I, again, like Sharita, I love all your um, Walt's definitions of Black joy. But the one thing that really, really sticks out to me is this idea that we have to have this, this something, right, in order to, like you said, either buttress or resist the negativity. And sometimes I wonder, like, okay, so if we didn't have racism, if we didn't have all these isms, right, white supremacy, would there even be a need for this concept of Black joy, right? So if, let's say you dismantled all of that, what does that leave us? Like, do, you, do we still have that joy? Do we still have this need for how we define Black joy? Or does it just become joy? So I'm just wondering, it's just very interesting to me that for everything that has happened historically, um, as, a, as a people in the diaspora, I think we always find ways to find a way to, to hold ourselves, to still ourselves, right? Um, but it's like, there's this need to do this. I think it's important. Joy, I think is always important, but at the same time, it's like, I just find it interesting that despite everything, we still have to, we have to find ways to fight back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. Like when I, I think if you were to like eradicate white supremacy, I think there would still be joy because parenting is hard. <laughs> like parenting is really, really hard and so universal. But like, I mean, I think of how my kids are small now and I'm in the very, I'm in the trenches. I'm in these very, it, it's parenting right now is very labor intensive. It's very physical. And so um, when I like account for all equal factors, for me, there there is the ability to still see joy or find joy in rest um, <laughs> because I'm chronically tired or like in, in laughter when my kids are giggling, like there's something about um, removing all other aspects that parenting, that the hard work of parenting allows you to be able to find these pockets of joy as well 
that reminds you how good and wonderful it is to be a parent despite the difficulties. And just to piggyback off of that, I absolutely agree. And I think that if it if we eradicated white supremacy, because I'm the mother of two girls, I want to let them know how to love themselves, how to appear, how to show up. Because when you the eradication of white supremacy, I'm still thinking about the gendered lens and what it's like even being a black girl in spaces where we have are, are compared to white femininity standards. And so it still is this idea of being joyful, of loving yourself and being radical and showing up as um, who you are. I totally agree. And I was thinking when I was looking at your questions, um, what would it be like if we didn't have to always resist? And um, the thought back to what our history is and if we're coming from royalty or coming from godlike space, why? Of course, I think we were joyful then. You know, it, we can be joyful when there's no there's no problem. We can be joyful just because we're joyful beings. Um, and you know, it definitely it it plays into everything that we that we experience on a regular basis. Um, so yeah, I would I, I wish we could eradicate all of that. I, I think it will come one day, and and we'll still be joyful. Mm-hmm. So Kelly, you touched a little bit about how you experienced joy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Aside from all these other layers of of our of our of our individualities, right? Our uh, who we are, how we show up as people. And so I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. How does how does joy show up um, in either your life, your work, your family, in the spaces that you you exist? It's, this is going to sound maybe superficial, but it's the simple things. It's good weather. Like, like I, you know, I spent a lot of uh, time in Texas and now I live in New England and like a sunny day that's not, that's not cold where I can be out with my kids, where I can run around like that brings me so much joy when I have rest and I'm not parenting from a place of exhaustion, you know, that brings me so much joy. Um, Just to discover things like now, you know, it's so easy, I think, to get caught up in work um, and the things that have to be done. But how my kids are sort of um, finding themselves in the world and seeing things for the first time, like certain animals or going to the beach or, um, you know, just having new experiences, seeing a butterfly, like to them, they're, they're so excited by the little things that we take for granted often. Um, I just find so much pleasure in that. So watching cartoons again, like it doesn't really have to be, um, joy to me is not, you know, monetary. It's not a million dollars. It's, it's quality time, it's intimacy. Um, and it's just those special moments that really don't require a whole lot, but just they feel easy. And I like it when life feels easy. See, it's interesting that which your, your last portion invoked to me that um, song easy, like Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's true. It's true. So Lynette, you have any? Um... I agree with all that Kelly just said, especially when it comes to joy in like my life and my family. But I'm stuck on thinking about this concept of, you know, joy at work, right? Mm-hmm. So I work in higher ed. <laughs> it's the ivory tower. It is, you know, dominated by white men. And um, 
It is not made for any person of color. And so for many years, the places that I worked, I had to find joy outside of that, right? To fill me up to then go back into the space. But at my job now, it's really the first time where there's joy in the actual job. Um, And truthfully, it's because um, I have a Black female dean and my whole team is basically Black females. And so (laughs) it's kind of like if you've ever seen Black Lady Sketch Show with their whole sketch with like, yeah, the Black Lady courtroom, right? (laughs) Where all the women go into this courtroom and they're like, this is the unprecedented moment. I kind of am working in an unprecedented space right now. And so Although I've always found joy in the work I do and in finding it outside to bring it in, this is the first time because of this very, very, very unique space um, that we're having like joy like at work because it's Mm -hmm. all, you know, Black women who understand each other. We want to bring joy into the space and, and what it's like. And we just laugh and have fun and, you know, yet are doing creative and amazing work because we're being supported to be able to do that. And we're being seen and we're being appreciated. So um, so for me, joy at work, this is the first time where it's really made this switch because I'm at this place that's so unique yet so amazing. It's filling me up in different ways. Mm. Great, Sharita? And so I'm going to, kind of sort of combine what Kelly and Lynette talked about. And so for me, Black Joy is the simple everyday things in terms of like the parenting aspect, but also my work too. And so for me, it's knowing that my girls see me writing about Black girls and, 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 and going against some of these narratives brings joy to me in a space that despite all of these things, I can do this. So it's not so much me caring about the institution because they will... You know, it's an institution, right? A typical PWI, white man in these spaces. But knowing that I can have a conversation with my 14-year-old about things that are going on, but she sees her mom doing this amazing work on Black girls and how we sort of have to persevere, acknowledging that gives me joy in itself to be in this space that I can have these conversations with her, that I can influence her to also be radical and to share that with others. That to me is black joy, something so simple that I would never thought that I get this heart warming feeling. Like she came to me for an assignment, like I saw some with, with, with black girls and I feel like they're being disciplined more in school. And I'm looking at her trying to get excited and she's like, please don't get excited. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I'm excited, right? So that just brought me joy that she was able to see that. Mm. To acknowledge that this is what I'm going to do. This is the, this is what I'm going to take. So for me, that's like my joy with the work and a little simple things. And then just letting them, I just want to see them happy. Right. And I think that's really what Kelly's talking about. Just, it, just to be able to be black and free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jennifer, your thoughts. Oh, I love how you said, Sharita, being Black and free. And um, my husband and I have made like a concerted effort to make sure we're raising our kids that way. So we're homeschooling them and um, just allowing them not to have to feel like they have to do anything because, you know, like the establishment said, the institution said, anybody in particular said, and of course, they have to, you know, obviously be mannerly and polite and things like that. But um, just allowing them to be who they are and um, without like the constraints of what public school says they're supposed to be or what any other, uh, you know, institution says they're supposed to be. Um, so then, uh, and it, and it's showing them through how we 
love ourselves, how to love themselves, um, how to just say, you know, not not celebrate um, on a specific holiday, but just celebrate because it's Tuesday and I feel like I need a break um, to just off go to the beach on any given day just because we just need to have our feet in the sand and look at the horizon and feel that joy and feel that peace. Um, so then, you know, you can, I can start to see them take time for themselves to celebrate amongst themselves and to feel that joy in any space they're in and what they're learning, learning and what they want to learn, um, you know, expressing that joy to their friends and showing that their friends, that taking care of yourself is important. Self-care is, is joyful. Um, and then just like uh, the other ladies have said, every, every day, um, every day joys in the sunshine, in the rain, and um, just loving yourself and, and feeling like the joys of the ancestors, remembering family members, um, seeing the joy and seeing qualities in family members that they possess and allowing and having that freedom to show who they really are. And um, I don't know, I just feel like it's, it's just a, it's a wonderful thing to just see kids come up without any constraints and see who they're really going to be. And, and I can just see that joy redempt as I'm sure you all can. And I was, I was thinking about um, in the workspace and I work in corporate and of course it's just like any other typically um, male dominated, white male dominated space. And um, just getting, uh, being on a meeting and feeling like no one understands you, they're not listening. And then you get a little ping and a message from a sister friend, like, I hear you. It's okay. We're going to be fine. And not from a place of, oh, poor us or anything like that, but more so, you know, like I got you. It's strength, it's sisterhood and it's love. And then, you know, just a little giggle or an emoji, and then we can laugh, you know, privately. And it's okay. It's not so oppressive. It's it's okay. It's going to be fine. And we're going to be great. So there are two, two things that came up, came up for me in, in the answer to the questions that you all share. And thank you again for sharing, sharing those answers, like wonderful answers. I have goosebumps, right, for those answers. Um, one thing that came up for me was, you know, we this the idea of modeling for for our kids what Black joy is. And so the question that came up to my mind was, do you actually express, do you actually use those terms Black joy in your family or that, those expressions, whether it be books or anything like any kind of medium that you use? And then secondly, um, following up what Jennifer was saying and also Lynette was saying, you know, in terms of your workspace or outside of being a parent, right? How do you, how are you creating networks so that you can, you know, these sister networks, friends, relationships, right? So that you can have, have this, have this respite, you have some, some place to go and someone to talk to, to recharge. I don't know if we wanted to tackle first this issue of how, if you really, do you use the term black joy? Do your kids know what, I mean, some, you may have little, little, little kids, so I may not know yet, but I'm just wondering, do you think you would use that term or do you use those, do they know that term? I use, I use all kinds of affirmations. So like my, my love language for those who've done love language is words of affirmation. So I'm constantly 
telling my children, you are black, you are beautiful. Look at your skin tone. It's like chocolate. You are so sweet. Um, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, I, I tell them this all the time. They probably get sick of it, but like, um, I affirm it for them also in like everything that we read. So my kids are like seven and under. So every picture book that we read looks like them. It's either a black boy or a black girl or a child of color. Um, Cause we like to keep it diverse <laughs> and like, but I want them to see themselves operating in their imaginations so that when they think of princesses, they don't imagine a blonde blue-eyed girl they think of themselves when they think of astronauts they think of themselves so I'm constantly trying to reinforce the images that they see not just the words that they hear but like how they internalize how wonderful and good and great it is to be black um that for me is is really important you know I I use Imani Perry's quote all the time, but it's true. She's like, being black is great. Racism sucks. <laughs> like white supremacy is awful, but being black is so awesome. And so I want them to know that the problem is not their blackness. The problem is white supremacy. Um, being black is their strength. And they hear that from me um, every single day. So I'll open it to anyone who wants to, if, if you have any anything else you wanted to add regarding that topic. I'll, I'll go along with Kelly. I, I, I have a young one, so she's nine months, so I have no idea what she understands what we're saying. <laughs> but, but um, you know, we're, words of affirmation are also, it's just big for me in my love language and touch, right? So um, that is big, uh, like saying all the positivity. I don't think we use the term actually black joy, um, but we are constantly affirming, not only for her um, in in her blackness um, and what that, and all the greatness that comes with it, but also as a woman, <laughs> or in this case, a little girl, um, you know, my girl got some beautiful curves at nine months, but literally I've, we've had a couple strangers body shame her, you know, and I'm like, really, we're starting that now? No. <laughs> so even just affirming, you know, her beauty, um, you know, and, and, and her body and loving the skin that she's in, because, that for me on a personal note has just been, there's four generations of women hating their bodies. And I'm like, it's got to stop here. It has to stop. So, um, and so finding joy and literally like who she is as a, as a human being, as a person and, and all her hilariousness. But again, I don't know what she's getting in yet. I'll know in a few months. <laughs> so I'll just jump in um, because I have like a 14 year old and a 10 year old, both girls. And so for me, I don't use the term black joy as much as I use like be a free black girl, black girl magic, love yourself. And I work so hard to affirm their identities, even in spaces of, you know, when I enrolled them in dance, when it's girls that did not look like them, whose shapes were not like them. So I purposefully intentionally put them in Catherine Dunham Children's Center where they saw folks that look like them, where it was a sisterhood, where it's daily affirmations, you know, their name is me and Imani, faith and purpose. So I tell them that all the time. And so it is constantly every day. And what's interesting is that across the developmental span, because Lynette, you maybe think of just when they were little babies, it never, it changes, but that's something that's very constant. Like you have to consistently do it because they're in these different developmental stages and the media tells them so much about who they are sometimes 
And we have to consistently counter that. And so I think now I'll start using like black joy just to see um, my teenagers reaction to that. Um, but yeah, and so it's it's through these other sort of daily affirmations as well. Yeah. So good, good point, um, Kelly Lynette. Good point. And Jennifer, I don't know if you had it, if you wanted to jump in. Sure. Um, yeah, with my kids, I don't use the term black joy, but um, I think now maybe, <laughs> maybe I will. We do say black boy joy from the from the book, from the storybook, black boy boy joy. But um, yeah, I, I think um, just through all everyday education that we give them and everyday affirmations that we give, um, I feel like they they know how special they are, how important they are, and royal and amazing um and and I'm just really um I'm touched by the fact that I can see them process when they see the news stories and they see the Mm -hmm. social media and how they can kind of like try to negotiate that in their brain about like well I'm hearing all these messages from my parents about we're royal we're great you know we're the best but I'm hearing all these other different messages in the media and it's good to see that they come out on the side of, well, that's just the media there. Who knows who's running them? I know what's inside of me. Um, and I just feel like it, but it is a constant everyday um, concerted effort to share that with them so that they can internalize it. And it just becomes part of their regular narrative as far as who they are. Um, and it, you know, it's, it wasn't easy at first because they kind of were getting different sort of messages at a younger age. Now they're, they're age six through 13. Um, and I just kind of see it solidifying. Um, I, I feel like, um, maybe being that they're, uh, more protected maybe in our home that they don't get too many different messages from two or different, too many different types of people. But, um, just, I, I, I just love that I see that joy in them and just, it, but it, I do think that it's constant and it's, it's very important to, to always combat what they might come up, up against. Um, because I just, it's, it's, especially as they're getting older and they have access to their own technology. And so I can consist constantly monitor what they're seeing in the news stories um, or, you know, negative comments on posts and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a concerted effort every day, but, um, it's, I, I find joy in that too. So can, can I ask a question? Privilege to do that. This is, since this is a sister circle, um, you know, for, 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 um, basically everyone in here who has, who has kids who are older, you know, our kids are growing up in a world that we didn't have, right. Especially with, um, with social media and just how the world is a little bit louder than what we had. So, so what are some things that um, you all do knowing that like the world is different and with social media um, to, to make me to, to also, also kind of maintain kind of the joy for the kids. So I have a 19 and a 22 year old. So what I did and so what I did early, they got cell phones later. So they got cell phones one was in ninth grade and the other one, you know, maybe halfway through eighth grade, got a phone. Um, and also to, so monitoring, you know, limiting what social media outlets they had. Um, also I think was important, was important. 
And then I think like all of you are doing, having conversations early um, about affirming, you know, affirmations and even, even not even vocal stuff. I would have, I mean, I had artwork in the house, family members. I mean, so those are some things that, that I did that weren't specifically social media, but in a way, I mean, I think just parenting in general, right? You just want to make sure whatever you're exposing your kids to align with your values, but also understanding that it's a tool, you know, that they, that they need to, and I mean, there's, there are benefits to the tools, but there are also still opportunities that you as a parent still have some, some, I'm not going to say control, but influence for them. But I don't know how others feel, you know, with different stages of, of parenting. No, I think it's absolutely right on. I think for me, my kiddos got their, you know, phones later on. I must admit the 10-year-old got hers a little bit earlier than what the oldest will have, and she will never let me forget it. But (laughs) Never let me forget it. But the thing is, though, you know, I monitor what they're on, but very mindful knowing that they have friends who may show them things and who may use social media differently where, you know, it's times where she came back and had a conversation about something she saw where we watched it together and we sort of talked about it and why I felt like she wasn't um, developmentally ready to, to, to sort of use something like that. Or maybe I thought she was too young for a conversation, but she was ready to have the conversation, particularly around um, when Mike Brown happened here in um, Missouri. So she was in fifth grade at the time and to and really to process and talk about why we saw businesses and people out. And so that was very important. So at that time, I was like, listen, okay, this is what we're going to do, A, B, C, and D. But um, it definitely is monitoring, but it's something that I don't take away from them because I know that if if they don't get it, they have peers around them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, for me, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'll be real quick. I just, um, (laughs) my kids are still young. So, uh, so they're not on social media, but like they are on YouTube. Like they are like, they have found because of the pandemic, the, you know, the lack of the screen time that everybody was like, so protective of is like, here, take a Kindle here, here, (laughs) you know, so they have gotten a lot more screen time than they normally would have because of the pandemic. But because of that, it's also, like compelled me to be a little bit more cautious because my daughter is obsessed with Disney and obsessed with princesses. And I realized that like she, at as early as three, was like, I don't like my hair. I want Elsa hair. I want Anna's hair from Frozen. And I was like, their hair is ugly. (laughs) And that may sound harsh, but like I had to, I was like, their hair is ugly. They want your hair. And then I had my friend who's a hairstylist, like call her and leave a voice note. And she's like, Jojo, your hair is beautiful. Everyone wants your hair. Your hair's gorgeous. Like, but there's a lot of like, um, things that I can't let her watch or let her watch repeatedly. So if we watch Cinderella now on Netflix, it's the Brandy version. So she watches the Whitney Houston Brandy version and that's the Cinderella she knows. So, um, so there's a lot of like curating of choice where I give them options to make them feel empowered, but I'm picking the choices, you know? So I'm like, I'm like, okay, it's Moana or Brandy's life. Like Brandy Cinderella. So she's still getting women of color or girls of color, um, but she's not inundated with Elsa and Anna and Tangled and all of these, you know, like um, white princesses that 
cause her to doubt how she sees herself. Um, but I've definitely had to to monitor, even even with my son, even with superheroes. You know, we we've had to like talk about who superheroes can be and what they look like. And I was just gonna say, um, my oldest is thirteen, and he just recently got um, access to an iPad for the past few years, I guess I would say, where he had social media account um, this past year, and I have just noticed that um, it's all these, uh, you know, stories inundated with us issues and all the horror stories that we all see all the time. Um, even though he's not subscribed to accounts where I will typically post those kinds of stories, it just, it just shows me that it's just prevalent. It's just throughout all, all, all spaces. So even if he's following NBA, of course, NBA players are making comments about stories and the comments about the news if he's on some car site, they're making comments about it just because it's all throughout every fabric of everything that we're doing. And it, but I, I took the opportunity to turn it into a learning experience anytime um, he sees that. And I guess because he was raised to know that if he sees things he doesn't understand, if he sees things that are upsetting, he just doesn't know what it is he needs to bring it to us, to his parents. And then we can use that as the, you know, a teaching time. And, um, you know, I was concerned a little bit when within the pandemic, all the kids from six to 13 would spend a lot of time together. So then we had the six-year-old and the nine-year-old all seeing the stories too. And then they, you know, getting kind of like emotional reactive to it, but it still was another opportunity to let them know that, yeah, we're going to experience these things, but, you know, here's, here's the background behind it. And here's why it's happening. And it's not anything to do with you. It's it's these other evils out there. Um, and then, you know, it kind of opened my eyes to, I need to be more protective of what he's seeing on the, on the social media. So monitor the accounts that he's seeing and then just let him know, keep on telling me when you come up on these things, because it's not just going to be um, you know, like racially charged stories and anything that, that just might be not age appropriate that we need to talk about. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, but it is like, like everything else with parenting, it's a constant everyday thing. And, um, you know, it's scary, but you know, to a certain point you have to let the children, you know, venture out and learn because they're going to, they're going to experience these things on their own one day and we need to prepare them. Can't always be so protective, um, but just constantly monitoring and constantly checking in. And then just for us, it's, it's, um, like some others said, you know, having, like we have my my daughter's room. We have Jackie's book on the nightstand, um, even though it's already been read. But just to let them know, this is normal. This is what this is normal. Black authors, beautiful black children on the covers of books that we didn't necessarily see. I know I didn't when I was young, and um, just throughout everything, artwork, the shows we watch, you know, just um, just through all the spaces. Keep keep that. Um, normalizing that we're in all spaces and we're great in all the spaces. So I just wanted to touch on um, one topic. So we talked about, I think Sharita mentioned this idea of, and it's, it's, it's also out there that black joy is a form of resistance, but then you also talked, Sharita mentioned about liberation. So I'm wondering your thoughts based on all our conversations, if maybe we should change the framework a little bit instead of black joys is resistance, it's liberation. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I think so, because it's being very intentional about deciding to be your authentic self, to be happy and Black, to understand the, I mean, you're not negating those experiences, but you're choosing to live and resist those every day by celebrating who you are, how you show, how you, you know, how you present yourself, the what you stand up for. I think it's, I, I think it is liberatory in some sense. I, 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 I like, I didn't think about it like that, but it really is. Yeah. I like that. I have to think a little bit more. I'm processing I like that now. too. Yeah. I like that too. It's liberatory. Right. Yeah. It can be both. It's resistance and, yeah. and through that resistance, liberation comes. Yeah. Absolutely. Cause I find myself happier in being able to be my authentic self in talking about black joy with my girls and doing this work through my job, right? So it is resisting, but it's also liberatory as well. It could be both. Yeah. I love that concept of liberation through resistance. And when we teach our kids, yes, you're going to, if you want to go to the beach, you're going to the beach. If you want to, you know, just in the middle of the street, you know, start singing and, you know, just draw wonderful chalk drawings, express your joy, whatever way you want to express your joy. And it's like demanding that I almost demand that they, that they express it. Don't ever let anybody, you know, shush it or put it down or because you're in spaces where others may be uncomfortable. That doesn't have anything to do with you. You still express your joy the way you need to and let others get used to that. Mm-hmm. either if they're there they're not there whoever's around you be you and you love that you're you and you you express that whatever way that means for you I love that do you be you love you right mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's good mm-hmm. and I think it's all a journey that we still do as adults right mm-hmm. even in our jobs and how we show up just to do that I think that's that's liberatory in itself. I totally agree. And I know that that there have been times that I had to step out of myself and just be brave to show them how to express it. And because I thought, well, how are they going to know? And, you know, of course, I learned from others. And, um, you know, I looked at my husband like, you know, are you going to do it too? Of course, he's leading and doing the same thing um, and just... It, but it but it took us to have to say, you know, yeah, we're going to make a concerted effort to show them what that means to love yourself. And sometimes it, it took it took bravery. It takes bravery in certain spaces when, you know, like, OK, I should probably just be quiet in in, in here. But no, I'm not, we're not going to. We're purposely not going to. I mean, I think we're seeing that now with Naomi Osaka, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Like, to yeah. keep my joy and to mm-hmm. keep my health, I can't do those media things. So if you, yeah. you know, if you period. Know, I mean, that's just it. Yeah, that's it. Period. It. And yeah, if you're going to go it. ahead and find me fifteen thousand dollars because I won't do that, then fine. So I'm be not going to be this French Open because I I need to keep my joy, yeah, my, and my health. You know, and, and I have my you. talent. Yes. Yes. So this is just what I'm going to do at this moment. I love it. I think it's this idea of not only teaching but modeling it too. I I I love it. I think. Yeah. Because we can't give it to our children if we don't have it ourselves. You know, I can't tell my daughter to love herself 
if I don't love myself. So, I mean, it, it has to be, you know, like you, when you get in the airplane and they're like, put, put the, uh, the, the oxygen in. Oxygen in. So <laughs> first. Like, well, you have to secure you have yourself to. first before you help others. Yes. What you won't do if you don't have it, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, that's, yeah. I think that's how it works. Yeah. All right, ladies, this has been a wonderful conversation. And before, before we head out, if, if you want to share um, any any projects or how people um, can can learn more about you, so you can spread more Black joy, especially I know I forgot to ask you, Kelly, about your article, recent article about you know we talked about media a little bit, um, so you can even share that if you want to. And it has been a pleasure. You all have brought me joy today by by joining me in this conversation. So please, I'll Lynette. Do you want to start? Sure. Um, people can find me at LynetteMawinney.com. Um, also, I have a children's book, Lulu, the one and only, which really talks about self-love um, through, you know, um, through racial identity. And I also have a new edited book out called Strong Black Girls, Reclaiming Schools in Their Own Image. Um, so please go ahead and check that out, too. All right. And we'll go to Miss Kelly. Uh, so I recently had a op-ed in the New York Times about Black Joy. I wrote about the new uh, show Run the World on Stars, uh, which is sort of being dubbed as the Black Sex in the City. I push back on that idea, but but it's just such a I joyful show. show. It's such a joyful. It's so fun, um, and so I just love seeing Black sisterhood. Um, I actually write about violence. My first book was all about Black abolitionists and violence. And in my next book, I'm also writing about violence, but there's a chapter called Joyful Violence. And it's basically how we use joy as a weapon against white supremacy. So I'm still writing about these things. I think they're in conversation with each other um, that we can talk about, again, resistance and liberation as part of a, a singular process. Great. And Sharita? So I am just writing as a scholar right now, um, but I um, recently did an um, interview for USA Today about the importance of remote learning and how Black children's identities have been affirmed while they are at home because they don't have to deal with the racist environment of school settings and being always um, challenged. Awesome. And Jennifer? Um, I don't have any particular projects that I'm working on right now. I am um, pursuing a, a degree at the time, so it's taking up all of my time. But um, if you guys want to reach out to me, I'm at JLT Digital on Instagram. All right. Thank you so much, ladies. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. Too. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. It's nice meeting everybody. Thank you. And to you. It's Take care. Have a great Thank you all for joining us for this important episode of What is Black Podcast. Well, I think it's important because we talk about all things of Black joy and the importance it is, the importance that it plays for us as parents raising Black children. And especially, I want to thank um, our guests, Dr. Kelly Carter-Jackson, Dr. Lynette McWinney, Dr. Sharita Butler-Barnes, and Jennifer Thompson for joining us today and for them sharing their joy and their experiences as parents and modeling Black joy for their children. I love, love, love this conversation. And to learn more about um, these wonderful people, please check out our website, whatisblack.co, where I'll have links to their social media handles, as well as some of the reference papers and op-eds that they've written and, and interviews they've written so you can learn more about them. And also, 
please to stay up to date with us and learn more about what is black please sign up for our newsletter and you can sign up for the newsletter at whatisblack.co as well so thank you so much and until next time we have one more episode to go before we end the season and i think it's been a great season so far and our 10th episode closing out season three i want to do a recap of our guests and their thoughts about how we can reimagine a better world for black children until next time